Amen. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 11, and let us read verses 1 through 7 this morning as we give attention to the God's Word that He has given to us so faithfully. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that, were, that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. He was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you as we come this morning to this book be reminded that you are faithful. You are faithful to your people. You are loving and kind and, and generous. And God, we just thank you for the, the great wisdom and, and blessing that you did in, in giving us the Word of God. I pray this morning that we could give attention to it, Lord, to understanding that these are the words of God Himself. And we pray that we would uh, heed these things. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would teach and instruct us. Um, that, Lord, we might live by faith and honor and please you. We thank you and ask us in your name. Amen. As Christians, we talk a lot about having faith in God. But what does it mean to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? To, to believe in God and to entrust Him. What... What does that look like? You know, is it simply a matter of believing that God did something in the past historically and providing salvation for humanity and that, you know, I just uh, trust this for my own life somehow and living uh, in relation to God as best I know how until He comes again and takes me to heaven? Is that is that what it's all about? Well, as we have studied the book of Hebrews, it is, has shown us the importance of the life of faith. And here you have a pastor who is writing to his congregation that he loves so much. And he, he, he sees these folks and he recognizes uh, that these Hebrew Christians seem to have a zealous faith for the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, if you look back at chapter 10, verses 32 through 36, you'll, this, you'll see where I'm getting this. Uh, but now, even though they once had this zeal for the Lord, I mean, even so much so that they were willing to suffer for their faith, now their faith seems to be waning. To be waning. To sort of be lacking. 
they, they want and desire to follow God, but maybe now in a way that doesn't require such a sacrifice, in a way that didn't rock the boat with the culture in which they live. Now, in their context, what this looked like was for them to return to Judaism, to return to that which they knew, that which their re relatives belonged to and stuff. For our context, that might look much different, but the struggle is yet much the same, is it not? Um, and so the author here points out their need for endurance in their faith, as we see in chapter 10, verse 36. Now, as, as I thought about this, I thought, wow, this is very appropriate for 2020, is it not? I mean, in many ways, our faith has been challenged as our lifestyles have been interrupted this year. I mean, it's, it's, it's not uh, hard to, to know that 2020 has been a challenge, and everybody sees it that way. I don't care what, whether it's conversation with coworkers, whether it's getting on Facebook. You see uh, uh, comments about 2020 all the time. And, and even though it seems like things right now seem to be a bit more settled, there, there's still much uncertainty in our lives, uh, particularly as we think about the future and the things that are yet to come, whether it be political things, whether it be economic things, that really still challenge our faith and really cause us to ask, what am I truly trusting in? Particularly if things would go south from where you would like to see them go, what are the things that we are resting in? What are the things that we are placing our hope in? And the temptation to live out our faith in a way that is culturally acceptable and doesn't rock the boat is, is, is a very real temptation for us right now. Because to be a Christian and to profess faith is something that, that people uh, are, are really coming against. And so it's, it's very easy for us to be tempted to think, how can I still be a Christian and yet maybe not be so offensive to the culture around us? And so what does it look like to live a life of faith in our day as we struggle with a lot of the same things that we see the Hebrews struggling with as well? Well, um, as we come to, to Hebrews 11, it is a chapter about faith. And uh, for many uh, that preach this, they sort of uh, preach it as they're preaching about the heroes of the faith. It's sort of the hall of fame for believers, for, for Christians. Um, and so they'll focus upon the people themselves and they'll say, be like Noah, be like Enoch, be like Abel is sort of the message here. But the writer of Hebrews, you know, he, he does draw upon the wondrous histories and the personalities of the Old Testament. But ultimately, it's not the men and the women that are listed in this chapter that are on display, but it's the common faith of these people uh, that shows its various facets in their lives. That's what we are to notice. The author begins with creation, and he sort of works his way chronologically through the Old Testament in this chapter. And in doing so, he teaches all the things that faith does and the benefits that it conveys. And it's important for us uh, to understand this. And, and particularly this morning, I, I want us to see, we're going to be uh, spending a little bit of time in Hebrews 11, looking at the different features, look at the different aspects of faith. But this morning, I just want us to notice two vital components of genuine faith. And they're, they're summarized in verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please Him, that is God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists 
and that he rewards those who seek him. The first thing we see this morning is, is that faith always has an object, okay? Something, or in this case, someone to have faith or trust in. And, and this is important for us to, to remember, especially as we think about what we talked about last week, how our culture is constantly telling us and pushing us to have confidence in ourselves, right? That's who we are to have faith in. You know, that the only person that I can trust is who? Me. Me. You know, as a matter of fact, uh, you, you hear people talk all the time about how they need to purge their life of people around them who are negative. You know, I need to get rid of those people. They're not good for me. Instead, I need to really, you know, build me up. And the focus needs to be me. But, but faith, as it's described in the Bible, is, it differs greatly from that. And, and it, as you look again at verse 6, it says, Whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists. So it is the object of our faith here that is in God Himself. He is that, the one that we look to. It's not just having faith, hoping that things will get better. It's not just wishful thinking. It's not just a sense of, you know, well, maybe it'll all work out. But it's really looking down the future or even the present and seeing that God is who He is and He is the one in whom I have faith. But unlike the faith of so many today who profess to be Christians where there is a disconnect between their professed faith and their lived faith, in other words, between what they say they believe and, and how they actually live, genuine faith has someone concrete to believe in. It's worth noting that the author, in describing a person who has faith, sees them as, as people who seek to please God and to draw near to Him. I, I want you to notice the closeness and the intimacy that accompanies faith. You know, faith is not just some abstract thing, it's not just some distant thing, that God is the object of my faith, but He is out there, sort of transcendent, and He is away from my life. But actually, there's a sense of intimacy with God. There's a desire to please God, to draw near to Him, to move towards God. I mean, if, if, you're, if you're married, or you know people who are married, which all of us do, you know, you watch two individuals as they have progressed in their relationship where they just sort of casually knew each other but then they started dating or courting and then they became engaged and then they got married they just kept moving closer and closer and closer they spent more time together they shared experiences together there was just sort of that closeness you know and and now that they're married they're they're enjoying that even more so brothers and sisters this is really very relevant for our day and the time in which we live where so many who profess uh, faith in God do so on their own terms and, and in a way that they can sort of fit God comfortably in their life. You know, that there's not a sense in which they are moving towards God. There's not a sense in which they are saying, Lord, take my life. Let's conform my life to who you are. There's more of a sense in which there are many people who would call themselves Christians and yet their life stays the same. They just sort of work God in wherever it's convenient, where it doesn't disrupt or change their life. And so it's important for us to consider, as we think about our own faith, to ask questions like this. Is, is the faith that we have in God one that compels us to draw near to Him, to move closer to Him? 
As, as we walk in faith, trusting in God, listening to His commands and His promises, is it our desire to please Him? Now, obviously, we don't do so perfectly, but, but are we seeking this intimacy and this delight in pleasing God? Are we, are we looking to Him to enable us to grow in our relationship with Him? Well, well if we are, there's, there's several things that, that must happen. First of all, we must. Uh, the first step of faith is simply to believe that God exists, that God is. You know, faith in God is not believe in the existence of a God, but faith in the God of the Bible is, is the only God. Paul, uh, talking to the Corinthians at 1 Corinthians 8, 5, he, he makes this point. He says, for although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things and through whom we exist. In other words, there's one God, there are three persons, but there's one God, and they mention two of those here. And, and faith in God is, is, is He is revealed in His Word. Not, not as I have an idea of who God ought to be, but it says God has revealed Himself in His Word. Now, understand that if we say that God exists, it's not just a matter in which we think that there is a God out there uh, who is distant from us. There's a whole lot more that goes along with that, this idea of God exists. If you believe that God exists, then it carries with it the belief in the invisible spiritual world. That reality is not just what we touch and taste and feel and, and all these things. It is also the spiritual world that exists as well. And, and if God exists, then this thing here is not just a book of suggestions, but, but it's a book in which God has revealed to us what reality looks like. You know, even those things that maybe are beyond us to understand, He conveys to us. He gives us commands in here. He gives us promises. All of a sudden, this carries much more weight if we understand that, that God exists. But, but such a belief in God can't happen without faith and trust in Him. Because we cannot know God by sight, right? I mean, John records that in his Gospel. He says, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He, that is Jesus, has made Him known. We have come to know the Father through the Son, but we don't necessarily see God. Nor, nor can we know God by reason only. I mean, one of the reasons for that is, is that our reason has been affected by the fall. We think we see so clearly and that logically we can reason things out, but the reality is, is that fallen humanity has been affected by the fall. And besides that, our reason is limited. We are creatures. We are not as great and awesome as God is. We oftentimes forget that. We oftentimes think of ourselves much more highly than we ought. And that's why Paul warns the church at, at Rome not to do that. But uh, we do have a tendency to think that. But then we see in Job chapters 38 and 39, uh, where these chapters are devoted to God explaining how man can't even understand nature and all the things that pertain to that, let alone understand God himself by our own observations 
and by our own reasoning. But God doesn't leave us without a testimony, without a witness, without evidence. God gives much evidence of His existence, but it's not the kind of evidence that men often are looking for. In, in Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, very familiar passage, uh, Paul says to the church of Rome, for what can be known about God is plain. In other words, it's right out there for everybody to see. Because God has shown it for His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. You know, what He's saying is, is if you look at God's creation and just the, uh, the way that things are made, the intricacy, uh, how, you know, how things fit together as well. Not only do you... Could you take the human body or the human eye or the ear or whatever and look at it and say, this is magnificent. But then you look at the insect world and then you look at how the world, how all the systems sort of work together uh, and to provide that. And, and you look at that and you say, you know, it, it takes more faith to believe that this all happened by chance than it did that there was uh, a God who created all of these things. And so God leaves himself with a witness. So to know that God exists, we need the eyes of faith to see that which the ungenerate person can't see. So first, faith has God as its object. But secondly, faith has a motivation as well. There's a motivation in our faith. It's not simply enough to believe that God exists. In order to please Him, it's also necessary to believe that He is moral and He is just. That He will, as the author says, reward faith in, in him we read in verse 6 whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him now brothers and sisters I know there are some people who hear this and the hairs on the back of their neck go up and they're like are you talking about work salvation and, and obviously that's not the case scripture is very clear that we are not saved by our works Ephesians 2 8 9 for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing it is a gift of God and then as if that's not enough for us to get that point then he even goes on and says not a result of works so that no one can boast so that's not what he's talking about is is that somehow we can live our lives in such a way that God will reward us with eternal life he's talking to those who have already received eternal life who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is merely saying that we must recognize God as personal, as, as loving, as a gracious God to those who seek Him. And, and you look at Scripture and you, you see many examples of that. And he gives just a few uh, in verses 4, uh, 5, and 7. First of all, he talks about Abel. Abel sought to please God by offering a more acceptable sacrifice than his brother Cain. Uh, in, in Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, we read that Abel was a keeper of sheep. He, he kept flocks, he kept herds, and Cain was a worker of the ground. And so when Cain came to the Lord, he brought an offering of the fruit of the ground. But Abel brought the first fruits of his flock and the fat portions, the, the, the best of his flock. Now, why was Abel's offering more acceptable? You know, had God revealed to these brothers or their parents the type of sacrifice that people were to offer him? 
Well, to find that answer, you've got to go back to Genesis chapter 3. So if you look back at Genesis 3, uh, we'll eventually end up at verse 31. But even at the beginning of that chapter, uh, it tells the, the story of the fall of mankind into sin. We're very familiar with that. And God confronts Adam and Eve in their sin. And, of course, they attempt to shift the blame even as they're confessing what they did wrong. And you know, yeah, well, okay, I did that wrong, but, you know, it was the woman's fault that you gave me, whatever. And, but, but God curses first the serpent, then the woman, and finally Adam. And then in verse 21, we see God's action to deal with the problem of their sin. And this is what we read in Genesis 3, 21. It says, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins, and he clothed them. You see, at this point in time, when Adam and Eve had sinned, they felt the guilt of their sin, the shame of their sin, and so they covered themselves with fig leaves. But God says that's not sufficient. And so God, um, he, he, he fulfilled what He said earlier. God had said that sin would produce death, and that's exactly what happened. Now, it's not Adam and Eve's death. That came later. But here, instead, it was the death of a substitute who would shed its blood in their place. So an animal had to die. A substitute had to die because sin had occurred. And in this way, God revealed the manner by which sinful people are to approach Him. Here, He taught sinners what kind of sacrifice that they ought to bring. And that's why Abel's sacrifice was more acceptable. Cain's sacrifice, I, I'm sure, was a, a labor of love. I'm sure that, you know, uh, it's something that we could all appreciate the labor that he did, but Cain's sacrifice was not what God desired. It didn't involve the shedding of blood. And that's the key difference between Cain and Abel's sacrifice. Abel sought to please the Lord by obeying him and bringing a sacrifice of a lamb to him. But even Enoch as well believed and knew God in a personal and a loving way. In verse 5 we read, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. There's only a couple of men in the whole Bible that did not see death, and Enoch was one of those. Now, before he was taken, he was commended, or he was approved as having pleased God. You see, Enoch lived in such a way as he satisfied God, and he delighted in the Lord, and he sought to, to please Him. Uh, and you can't live with the Lord your God if you do so only in a casual manner. Enoch had fellowship with God, and, and, and he knew that he was just and merciful and forgiving. Uh, and, and he walked with the Lord, and, and he knew God, and he sought to please Him. Noah also lived by faith in reverent fear, we're told, of God and constructed the ark and, and Noah expressed his faith by obeying the Lord you know it's, it's uh, what James talks about in James 2 26 where he says faith without works is dead Noah just didn't say that he believed God he had a, he had a faith that exercised itself and which he uh, did all that God commanded in constructing the ark also in preaching the gospel to those around him so all of these men of faith understood that God rewards those who seek Him. Now what is the reward that the Lord gives us? The reward that He gives us is Himself. He gives Himself to us and that fellowship that we have with Him. And, and the reward that we see, just 
back to the point that it's not a work salvation. It's a lot like a parent who delights in the rewards and rewards his children. You know, don't you see things that your kids do that you just delight in and you think, I, I, I'm just so happy and pleased with the things that they do. And so we reward those, those things. Is it the children's obedience, though, that causes you as a parent to love that child? No. You love them just because they're your children. And it's the same way with God. He loves us. And yet He does, though, delight in the things we do. As we live by faith, it doesn't add to our acceptability to God, but it is an expression of our love to God. And even more importantly, it flows out of a, a new nature that He has given to us. Uh, he has given us a nature that delights in Him and it pleases Him. And that's what it means to walk by faith. And so these men understood that those who live by faith, uh, not only back then, but even today, come to God seeking reward, seeking His favor, seeking His grace. The alternative is to ignore God and to think that it doesn't matter what God thinks of us, uh, what He intends for our future. It's just sort of to live life the way that we desire to do so, uh, rather than pleasing the Lord. You know, I think if we, if we think about those that we know, that we have contact with, there may be some people that we know who would deny the existence of God, but I think even in our culture in general, uh, there's, there's fewer people who deny the existence of God than who do say that God exists. But, but don't you think that many deny the relevance of God in their lives? But they don't always see uh, what it means uh, uh, for God to be part of their lives. Even many who profess to be believers are serving otherly, worldly gods as the source of the rewards they so highly covet. And that, that causes us to raise a number of questions for, for our own lives. Do I have to deal with God in my day-to-day -day life? Is that how I live my life? Thinking that today that I'll be walking with God, I'll be relating to Him, that I will know Him? Do I pay attention to Him? Do I listen as He speaks? Uh, do I open my heart to a relationship with Him to let Him change the way I live, to make Him the great hope for the, all of my life? Is that what characterizes us? Well, if we walk a life of faith, it is. But he says here that not only you know, do we have that sense in which God is our object and, and God, um, that, that there's a motivation of faith as well, but also he, he tells us to seek Him. But in seeking Him, we will find Him. God is a rewarder of those who seek Him. But does it mean, but what does it mean to seek Him? It doesn't mean that we search for God like a scientist searches for knowledge. You know, a scientist that's looking for knowledge is trying to learn something new, trying to discover something that maybe is difficult to discover. But God is not like that. He doesn't leave obscure cues uh, or clues, you know, for us to find and try to figure out who He is. I mean, we've already seen in, in Romans chapter 1 how God, even for those that don't go to church, even for those that don't hear His word, can look around at creation and see that there must be a God. There must be something behind all of this creation, as great as it is. Even those invisible attributes. Now, they may not understand, they won't understand sin. They won't understand God's plan of salvation. But they could understand that God exists. And so, um, 
we're not left to follow an obscure trail of clues, eagerly seeking to try to piece together some theory about who God is. He's given us his word where he explains those things, but as I said, in another sense, God is all around us, and the evidence of, of his being is all around us as well. So seeking God is not an attempt on the part of humanity to know a mysterious God, but rather seeking a relationship with him, which involves God's favor and his forgiveness. For sinners, it means seeking forgiveness. It means coming to him, confessing that we are sinners as David did. I just think of Psalm 51, where David says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Now, kids, hyssop was a plant, okay? And the priest would use this plant and he would dip it in the blood of the animals and then he would sprinkle it, that sacrificial blood. And so when David says, purge me with hyssop, he's saying that, that he's coming to God and he's seeking forgiveness through the Messiah, through the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world as we come to him by faith. But also, it involves a relationship with him, not just a forgiveness but then an ongoing relationship with our God. Uh, seeking God means more than seeking His favor and His forgiveness. It also involves that intimate daily relationship. It means making Him the God of your life, your King, your Teacher, your Lord. It means, as, as Enoch shows us, to, to walk with God, to live with God, to offer your life for His pleasure, as did Abel and Noah as well. It means seeking that which is the purpose for which He made you, the, the glory of God and the enjoyment of God. That's why we're here. And when we do those things, there's true delight in our life. Seeking God is, you could say, is just another expression for living by faith. So that leaves us with one question. If you seek God, are you sure to find Him? And the answer is yes. The, our author says that God rewards those who seek Him. If we seek the Lord, we will find Him. Not just in terms of coming to Him in faith in Christ, but it may be that you may be here today and, and He is calling you to, to seek Him. And we, we have the promises that if we seek Him, we will find Him. Deuteronomy 4.29 says, But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find Him. If you search after him with all your heart and without all your soul, if you seek God, he will respond to your seeking. But even more than that, Jesus said in John 6, 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. In other words, uh, what that means is, is that if you are seeking God, it is because he is in fact seeking you, and therefore he is bringing you to himself. And God is drawing you into the arms of, of His love through faith in Christ. That those who seek Him, He rewards with Himself. And those who walk with Him in this life. If you, if you don't know the Lord personally, and the joy of a relationship with Him, He is calling you to Himself today. To place your faith and your trust in Him, not in yourself. You've been living your life and, and you may even be a very religious person and you may even be a person who goes to church every Sunday. You know, but maybe you really, you've been the focus of your life. 
And he is calling you today to come and to recognize that a life apart from him is a life of sin. That he is calling you to, to repent of that sin and, and to trust in him. That what Christ did on the cross was sufficient to pay that price. And, and to not only pay for your sin, but also has the power to give you a new life. Where God is the focus and he is the center of that. But brothers and sisters, most of you that are here today believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you believe that God exists and all that goes along with that. But is your faith one of seeking God daily? Is the greatest pleasure in your life knowing and loving God? Of being with Him? Or has the cares of this world, have they distracted you? Maybe in an attempt to quiet the cares of this world and the ache that you feel in your heart in 2020, you know, have you turned to things of this world rather than seeking God? Are you waning in your faith? If you're here this morning and you're struggling, really what this sermon is, is a call to you to return to that faith. That faith you knew when you first came to the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that, that joy and that zeal that you've had. Maybe you have given that up to, um, to work for the Lord. Maybe you have come to see God as nothing more than a, a rule, uh, a person who requires rules from you. And so you spent your life thinking that you had to just try to do your best to keep God's commands. Or, or maybe you see God as a God who is, uh, well, he just, He's bringing trials into my life. He, he just, it's just always hard. He's always trying to sanctify me. And you don't see God as a rewarder of those who seek Him. You don't see God as a loving God. And so you've sort of fallen into this whole mindset of just like, okay, yeah, I know God loves me, and it's going to be hard. And all the joy of your Christian life has been sucked out. I just want to remind you that God loves you. That's why He died for you. And He's calling you that if you're struggling, if you're waning in your faith, that He is a God who loves you. And do you, do you understand that? Do you view your relationship with God where you feel like you're constantly disappointing Him and you feel like you never measure up. Have you forgotten that God takes delight in blessing and rewarding His children? And if so, I want, I want to remind you of what faith in God is like. But also you may be here today and you may be strong in your faith. And I want to encourage you to continue to persevere. To walk with the Lord and continue to de take delight. And to know that the life that the Lord is working out in you. It's because He loves you. And so regardless of where we are, I just want to encourage us to come to Jesus by faith and to rest in Him, to experience the joy that, that Abel and Enoch and, and Noah experience living and knowing their God. Let's take just a moment this morning and, and meditate upon the word that we heard preached this morning.
Father, we thank you that while you are our Heavenly Father in Heaven, you also are close to us. And you know us intimately and you, you love your children. You care for them. You delight in them. Oh Lord, we pray that we would never forget this. And God, that we just thank you so much for the, the gift of, of knowing you, of, of being made new creatures in Christ, that we could live to, to please you, we could enjoy the intimacy uh, of drawing near to you and, and seeking you, and knowing that you are a God that rewards those who do. Um, Lord, I pray for any that might be here today and wrestling in their faith, that they would re be reminded of that, the joy of their salvation, and, and that they would turn to you and cry out to you and say, Lord, my, my faith is not what it was. God, I've been wrestling. Or, Lord, 2020 has just knocked me off my feet. And, and I just feel lost, God. It's, you have challenged me ways I, I never thought about. And I've, I've just, I've not thought about denying you, but I've just sort of walked away. Lord, forgive me and just draw me ever closer back to you. And Lord, I pray for those that are walking faithfully with you. They would... You would just continue to, to draw them to yourself and that they would know the joy of what it is to be in relationship with you. Strengthen our faith, we pray, Lord, and guard us against a faith that would give up. But we pray instead, Lord, that we would endure uh, as you continue to work in our lives. We know that we can no more endure than the man on the moon, but you are a God who keeps us to the very end. We're so thankful for that, Lord, and we pray this in your name. Amen.